I do have a bird-related uh, riddle. A riddle for a, birds? A riddle about birds that I don't have the answer for. It was in the New York Times on Friday. And you didn't check what the answer was? No, I'm still working on it. Will they give you the answer next Friday? Oh, they'll, 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 they'll probably give the answer Saturday. You but I don't Google it? I, well, I mean, not really. You're going to try to solve it. Uh, still, I'm still working on it. All right, well, you have to bring the answer okay, back well, next episode. Well, you understand riddle-less. this, right? A riddleless riddler. <laughs> I can't. I'm, I'm preemptively <laughs> mad that this is a riddle with no answer. Uh, well, there the is an answer. Yeah, that you don't have. Maybe, it, it, maybe we'll know it. it That's true. It's a seven-letter word with two vowels. Okay. Okay. It is a bird, and it is also a sign that you see in a hotel. I don't think there's anything... Th- there's no there's no such thing as a ball hep or a bell I was, I was thinking bell, bell hop. hop yeah mm-hmm. bell hop you mm-hmm. know yeah. and it's like that doesn't work but it's something along those lines seven letter word mm-hmm. two vowels mm-hmm. you switch the vowels and it's a sign that you see in a hotel okay okay switch the vowels switch the vowels and I don't I have not worked out the answer I got nothing it's not vacancy hey concierge has got too many vowels yeah Elevator. I don't know if you want to start with like the rooms for rent. Mallard is the same two vowels, so it doesn't help. Mallard, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. helpful at yeah. all. Uh, yeah, I, for some reason, the only thing I can think of is albatross. It's literally the only bird I can think of. Gislong, definitely not that. For gosling is not a sign you find in a hotel. You know, <laughs> but if you have a three-year-old toddler and she's swinging a baseball bat, she might accidentally hit you in the gislong. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Good Trash Genre Cast, a show where a bunch of people gather around a table to talk about movies you're not going to talk about in a film studies course. And this week, that is certainly the case. Maybe, Maybe. if we talk about streaming platforms in a film course, this might come up, though. Sure. It might. Because this week we are talking about... Sandra Bullock in Bird Box as we end our summer of Sandy Marathon. No one is bird. No one is box. <laughs> Wait, sorry, different. No movie. one is Bird Box. <laughs> yeah, this is the sequel to Bird Man, in which um, Michael Keaton <laughs> is Floats in the, down the river <laughs> now, in a box. You know, I did lean over to Becca and go, "That's the Bird Box." Yeah, you have to. You have to. There's no choice. I don't. I don't make the rules. Um, just That's so you true. can identify as dear listener, I am still Dustin. I am still Arthur. I am still Dalton. And uh, just so you know, dear listener, this is a relatively recent film. I didn't look at its year. 2018. 2018. 2018. Okay, well, not four years. Not nearly as recent as I thought it was. Based on a book from 2014. Okay. Um, But um, we are going to do some spoiling. Um, So there will be spoilers involved because this is not a review show. This is an analysis show. But in order to avoid that and to have you um, assisted in making a decision as to whether or not you want to go ahead and tune into the Flicks of Nets and uh, check out Bird Box, uh, we're going to start off the show with something pretty spoiler um, gentle. We'll begin with the synopsis, and that'll be spoiler free. We'll have quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which are just as spoiler as any other review, but that'll be a quick part of the show. And then we'll move into a little game we like to call Expanding the Syllabus, which might involve the gentlest of spoilers. Um, uh, more likely of other movies than of this movie, um, but maybe. And then we get down to business. There'll be music to let you know we've gotten down to business. It'll involve socks. And once we've done that, you'll know now that all spoiler bets are off. So with that, we'll remove the blindfold now and uh, move on into that synopsis from um, the right Bishop Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. Five years after a global phenomenon has led to mass suicides, a lone mother guides her children on the river to a potential safe haven. The only catch? They have to journey blindfolded. 
That's yes. That is the plot of Bird Box. That is the plot of it. the Thank Box O Birds. I'll be here all week. <laughs> We're so proud. And of yet you. you've spoiled so little of the other things that are lying underneath the surface of that river. Yeah, I'll do what I can. Nice, nice metaphor. Thank you. Thank yes. Um, well, with that, um, I am a virgin watcher. Are you all both virgin yeah. watchers yeah, as well? Yeah, I never got around to it. Okay, Correct. so we'll just do it in a standard order. Um, Arthur first, go. Ooh, hello. Hi, everybody. Um, <laughs> I'm never first. This is a weird feeling for me. Um, never first, always last. Um, bird box. Uh, I, I, uh, yeah, I'm... I'm you know, uh, glad I got around to this. It's going to come up already, but yeah, this was a, uh, a a pairing in the year of a quiet place. It was the uh, the hearing movie or the vision movie, uh, mm-hmm. and I went with the hearing movie. Um, but uh, I think Bird Box is a, a pretty solid Netflix thriller. I I, I think is a, a good way to describe it. I, I think that uh, it's mostly effective. I, I kind of handicapped myself because I read the book this week as well, nice. uh, okay. which obviously paints a bit of my opinion on the movie. Um, we can talk about about adaptation stuff later, I think. Um, but I do think it, it is able to maintain a lot of the core elements that make the book work. And uh, again, I think it's just that it's anchored by a solid cast. And the thing we've come back to week out and week out uh, over the past four weeks as we talked the summer of Sandy is a Sandra Bullock's just one of the best, I think. Uh, I mean, movie star charisma and, and can kind of do it all. And I think she's proven that time and time again. Here she is uh, surrounded by an ensemble who are all very strong as well, uh, including uh, I, I got you. I got you. John buddy. Malkovich yeah. and Little Rel Howery and B.D. Wong, uh, Tre- Trevante Rhodes. Like, holy crap. Like the people that started showing up in this movie, I started hooting and hollering, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a cast. But of course, you, you were right to start with the one and only Malkovich. Yes, <laughs> arguably is, the other big name in uh, in here at the time because yeah. Laura Howery hadn't done gone out get out yet contemporary right at I guess. the time of get yeah. out right and Trevante Rose is just coming off of Moonlight so this okay. is like his his big follow up to that is his you know, gotcha. steering screen with Sandy I guess yeah but you're right I mean he Malkovich is sort of the other established elder statesman uh, and when you production. need a, a kind of antagonistic character you're going to call John Malkovich because he's good he's good at it. He's good at anything he does, usually. Uh, and so I think he's a lot of fun here. But everybody, Trevante Rhodes uh, is really good, I think, as Tom. Uh, I think Little Rel uh, does a good job kind of providing that comedic relief alongside being really good in the kind of the dramatic elements of here when he's needed to. Forgot Sarah Paulson. Sorry. Oh. It would showstopper. Yeah, the movie like forgets a... Sarah Paulson, too, which That's is fair. unfortunate. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, Sarah Paulson's great. I, I've loved her since like... American Horror Story. Yeah. She was always great on American Horror Story, so I'm always happy when she gets to do stuff. Uh, and of that American Horror Story cast that wasn't known before, then she seemed to have had the best kind of post-AHS career, I think. Mm. Um Lily Rabe's the other one who I really like on that show, but I think Sarah Paulson's really kind of cornered the market of cold blonde uh, personality. And I like her because it is kind of a turn. She's more warm, a little more nurturing, a little more caring yeah. compared to what we've typically seen, I think, from Paulson. Uh, but yeah, she's really good. So Ensemble's great. I, I think it comes together in a really nice package. I, I think it's a solid thriller. I, I really do enjoy it. I think that uh, narratively you could pick it apart. I think you know some things don't always work and again again coming off of reading the book i think that kind of paints a picture for me of maybe some of its inefficiencies or ineffectiveness as a movie but uh by and large um yeah solid i'd I'd watch it again all right very good very good thank you very much for that mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what think you of the box of birds this really is uh the deep impact to a quiet places armageddon in in more ways than one for me uh i think this is 
the less exciting and less entertaining film, and yet the kind of odds out like better movie. I, I just think that this is a much more compellingly told story uh, with with a, a better sense of human emotion than A Quiet Place. No, you know, Krasinski turned in a really nice thriller and a, a great, you know, a really solid thriller, uh, a fun monster movie, a good time at the the theater. Um, and that does stand in stark contrast to this streamer, uh, but it's definitely a different movie. Again, it's, much like Deep Impact is sort of a, a smaller film than Armageddon, despite still being a big studio production at the time. Likewise, this is a big effort for Netflix, uh, but it still lacks some of the scale and scope of something like A Quiet Place. But it's also a much like Deep Impact is a it stands in contrast to Armageddon this stands in contrast to a quiet place and and for me being much more about the feeling of the people involved right a deep impact is a lot more focused on what it feels like to have imminent uh, existential threat upon you and I think this film sort of matches that tone really well Uh, again it, it was so hard to not think of this in terms of how it compares to a quiet place just because of Again, me having seen that film first, but of course, as we've already talked about, Arthur, uh, it is just they they happen to come out the same year. One was the sighted mo- the, the movie about sight. One was a movie about hearing, um, as opposed to be both being about giant asteroids. They are both about killer monsters who have have come to us with nefarious purposes and mysterious origins. I think the monsters are scarier here. Uh, is another thing that works really well in this film's favor, vis a vis as as compared to A Quiet Place. A Quiet Place has got some perfectly fine CGI piles of poo-poo, and uh, as most monsters look like these days. And they're they're pretty good. I like their weird little ear canal that we get a close-up of. But the not seeing a monster at all in Bird Box is... Uh, it's one of the oldest tricks in the book, but man, is it effective, right? There, there is just something so effective about having something too scary to look at. You simply cannot handle it viewer and we won't be showing it to you because if we did you'd lose your mind just like everyone else in this movie and i love that that works out so well for this film um it's it's a great choice to make um we we do get some characters who can look upon the unlookable uh beasts that that uh, create this mass suicide epidemic that uh, arthur mentioned in his synopsis and the the people who can see this creature uh, one, one of them uh, has some drawings of it and, and just those like sketches of what the monsters might look like or Which might feel like. wildly disparate from one another. Yes, thank you for clarifying that. You're right. They, they are, none of them are really that similar. Uh, so, so that makes it all the more interesting to, in the back of your mind, like what is going on on the other side of these blindfolds? Uh, it's, it's great. Yeah, this is a fun time. I, I'm really glad we, we made time for this. Um, Arthur, you talked about Sandra Bullock uh, and her, her strengths as a performer. The opening scene of this movie is just her planting her flag in the, in the film and just absolutely, it's a powerhouse performance right out of the gate. It's one of the best things we've seen her do this entire marathon. Uh, that one scene, uh, and the film that follows is, I think holds up and, you know, and, and supports the performance that we get in those opening scenes. Um, I think the novelist structure novelistic structure of the film i the the sort of parallel timelines that we get in the, mm-hmm. the story is the thing that most feels like a a, a book you know that, that was yeah. the thing happening in the movie that made me most go oh yeah 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 this is clearly adapted from something else yeah um because it works better in a novel form than it does in film form sometimes and and for me that was the case i didn't totally love the structure of the flashbacks to the, the current day stuff 
because it, it did always feel like we were cutting away from the more interesting one at any given time. It, it was never, and that for me do, does sort of rob the movie of some momentum. You know, every yeah. time we cut away from the flashbacks, yeah. it's really at the, the the peak of something interesting happening. Uh, and likewise, they, they do the same thing. We cut away from the present to go back to the flashbacks. It's usually at the, the height of something dramatic, um, or at the very least, the the height of something emotionally interesting, right? It might not yeah. always be the, the most exciting thing happening, but there's always something interesting going on in, in either one of the two stories that are, are framed in parallel next to each other. And yeah, it's, it's just for me, for me anyway, uh, as we were cutting back and forth between the two, I, I did often feel like we were losing side of what was interesting and important uh, for the movie. But overall, I'm a big fan of this. And I think, again, it's it's hard not to compare them to each other. So I, I do have to say, I think I like this more than A Quiet Place. I, I was always kind of poo-pooing this film as, oh, Netflix coming in and trying to steal this movie's thunder because I'm always mad at Netflix for not wanting people to go to the movie theaters. Uh, it's silly. Um, it's very silly. This is a good movie. Uh, and just because it was on uh, a company that doesn't pay its performers any residuals <laughs> doesn't mean it can't still be entertaining and it can't still be a value. Um, and yeah, I, I do think it, it succeeds in a lot more respects than A Quiet Place does. A Quiet Place succeeds at being a compelling monster movie uh, that you can watch it with a family. This succeeds at being something a lot more emotionally interesting and a lot more um, evocative for me as far as what it makes you think about, what it makes you feel. Uh, th- th- yeah, do they both deal with kids in the apocalypse? Sure, and we'll talk about that later uh, as, as we get into discussing the film in more detail. But I, again, I, they couldn't be more different. So if you have also been putting off this film because you thought it was way too similar to the other monster movie from 2018, uh, I say stop putting it off and check this out because it's really good. Dustin, what did you think? Are you, are you on, on the same boat as me and Arthur? Or are we going down the same river? I think we are going down the same river, though I have not seen A Quiet Place. Oh, really? And so uh, I was telling Arthur off air that uh, my sense of A Quiet Place is that it is a monster movie mm-hmm. in which the monster hears you so you can't make any sounds. Yeah. And being able to sign is an advantage that a family has to an extent. Sure. So they can communicate, you know, and get away from the monsters and, you know, do their survivalist kind of stuff. But it it seemed to me in that sense very much about the survival aspect of dealing with a monster. Mm-hmm. And that is the entirety of the film. It's probably very thrilling. Krasinski's performances are good, but... I would say that, yeah, you've pretty much got it in a nutshell. Okay, that was my, 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 yeah. my feeling there. And I, and I understood, wrongly... Bird Box to be a lesser version of that. What I got with Bird Box was something that was, as you've already mentioned, emotionally very connective and uh, very, very evocative, but also thematically I found it to be really, really rich. Uh, Just the idea of exploring the idea of visuality and how that might drive uh, a culture to its own destruction. Uh, We'll say more about that when we get to analysis. But that being said... Um, I found it to be really, really thoughtful mm-hmm. and really, really intellectually provoking as well as emotionally provocative. So that, just, a, just sort of a big general sweep, I'm not. I'm less inclined to see A Quiet Place now than I was before. I'm more inclined to see A Quiet Place Part 2, weirdly, but that's only because I know there's some weird Syrian um, or uh, Killian Murphy business going on in A Quiet so Place. So good. Part. Yeah, that's what I hear. He's so good. Well, yeah. I love him in all things. So, yeah, exactly. And I like Krasinski in all things. So, I mean... But, the- yeah, A Quiet Place is just giving you, isn't it cool when Krasinski, spoiler alerts himself to save his children, and it's like, well, sure... 
that's fine and it's emotionally compelling but as you've said like there's not a lot of like really thematically or intellectually interesting stuff going on in a quiet place maybe there is that i've i've i'm selling it short but i feel like the themes are like right there on the surface the, the point of the movie seems think. to be the monster gimmick it seems to be pitch black but not sci-fi and no vin diesel i think for me it's more of a genre crap i think quiet places heads and shoulders the better made movie and that's kind of what I mean. Like, it I, is more entertaining, right? It's more compelling. It yeah. looks like the scale and the scope yeah. are all like, it sells yeah. it way better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah. So I, I think, I think I it's just direction. I think it, as far as like a suspense thriller, they're able to ratchet stakes, suspense rat, yeah, better. I think Quiet Place is much better. Okay. From well, a pure craft, craft and yeah. genre standpoint. I think that's totally fair, even though I, I am still kind of going more in the corner for Bird Box. Yeah. I, I found myself um, very, very compelled by it, and I really enjoyed the direction of the film, as well as I liked, I, I don't know to what extent it imitates the same structure of the novel, but I liked the cut back and forth between the present day and the going back and forth, because what it was doing was helping me to create sort of one of those great pleasures of movie watching from David Boardwell. Um constructing possible hypotheses mm, to mm-hmm. figure out how and what and when and where and why mm-hmm. these characters are here, why those characters are not there, and what ends up happening to those characters. And so for me, it created a sense of anticipation, wondering back and forth, like, oh, wait, okay, so here she is now. Okay, great. Okay, well, is that baby one of those? You know, uh, I'm asking those questions. Where's that person? Well, what happened there? Yeah. <laughs> so that's so funny, because for me, when they cut back every time, I'm like, well, who cares? I know that all of these people are dead because they're not in the flash forward. And yeah. so that kind of robbed that momentum from me, but I but like it, I like your take it, it, on it. It kept reminding yeah. me yeah. of yeah. that this story is going to keep going on. It's like, wait a minute. Oh, the two. Okay. I, I'm saying very little right now, and I'm sort of being sort yeah. of staccato with my statements to avoid spoilers, yeah. but those are things yeah. I was thinking about. Well, which one of the two? I wonder how the... And yeah. so dots connecting and continuing dots connecting. And there's even a few red herrings being placed yeah. uh, here and there uh, in the flashback narrative to sort of make you... Expect maybe mm-hmm. it to go one way or another in the uh, present day narrative. Well, I'll give you a point by point breakdown and analysis. Hell yeah! Oh, I'm I'm, I'm excited <laughs> about that. But I I, I thoroughly enjoyed that uh, about the film. Uh, we've already mentioned Sandra Bullock's performance, which is incredible. So good. Uh, the, I think the child actors are quite good as well. Uh, and so they're they they you know they, they don't, don't have, have that weird thing. Yeah, that whatever they, the cute. I thing. think the girl's better than the boy. I think that's correct. Interesting. I liked them both okay. You, you know, Mostly who, from that last... Well, we'll okay. The mind. chief offender's a well, bad well, child Well, she acting. has an emotional payoff that the boy doesn't quite get. And the boy does get a moment, but it's not... We'll get there. Is a, as earned. Yeah. Uh, we'll say that. Yeah, yeah, it's not as earned. That's uh, fair. Um, I just... Uh, coming out of uh, the old Multiverse of Madness this week, finally caught up with that one. And uh, boy, did I just get reminded about the bad child actors from WandaVision when that, in that movie. Mm. Those, God love them. Those, Billy and Tommy. Billy and Tommy are bad. They, no? They've got it. They've got it. The child performer thing that makes it hard to watch a child performance sometimes. Boy, do they both have it in a big way. And I, I think both of these kids, I don't know if I thought of either one of them either one of them as being better but I'm, I'm with you that i like both of their performances quite a bit but i to come back to the issue of scale i do like the um hyper personality of it mm. i do like the real individualized granular nature mm. of this experience and that those dots might indeed connect to broader stories and different arcs uh this this movie could certainly spawn sequels and honestly all the sequels could just roll backward to getting to the same location Mm. And just tell the various stories, stories of various people 
and how they arrive there yeah. with just as much weight. Yeah. Um, and again, just different kinds of stories uh, about how you might survive this particular type of apocalypse. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, a real Cloverfield experience, yeah, if you will. Yeah. Um, so I enjoyed that. Um, I, I, you know, we could, we could go on and on. Well, I, I, I'll, I'll put a pin on here because it, it is, I don't know, still refreshing me to see a movie where uh, you get a character actually on a river uh, or on, on a, maybe in a tank. I don't know. Uh, but the background's not green screened around her. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. You know, it was, I kept looking for the seams and it looks really good. I don't like, know if they were on location or what, but I'm sure maybe some stunt performers on location and maybe them in a tank, but you're yeah. right, Arthur. Like it and this movie shot today. It's all green screened and it's mm-hmm. going to look real bad. Even four years later. It doesn't matter yeah. who put it out. Yeah. I, I expect that the landscape might've been all that was green screened. I think to, to create a greater sense of peril. Yeah. And, and that's easier to hide a seam as well. And that, I mean, that's kind of what that's for. You know, when it comes to CGI, yeah. but it all looked great. Well, I'll tell you what, but Arthur, you want some boat photography? You got to get yourself to the Northman, my dude. There's I've a, seen it. You did. Oh, that's right. I knew you saw the Northman. Yeah. That's right. Oh, great! Yeah, beautiful. But great I'm, boat stuff. One of the best thing about the movie is the the boat stuff. Is the CG? I mean, not this is the cinematography and the landscape. Yeah, the, the hey on it, location stuff. Being there makes a difference. The black ground stuff that they do in the lava. Oh, yeah, man, it's gorgeous. It's a pretty movie. I do want to mention one sort of uh, craft bit, though, about the use of those boating scenes and uh, the difference between that and a regular traditionally CGI shot film. And the way in which CGI has this tendency when it's used to make the camera swoop around and about to sort of create a sense of infinite space mm-hmm. around this does not do that and keeps it tight yeah, and, yeah. and but but that choice of keeping it tight as a viewer you know then there is a boat down there and there is to some extent a real moving body of water in which that boat yeah. and there are either stunt performers or actual actors in said boat and that for me creates a much greater sense of anxiety yeah sure. and realism there yep. and so that's part of the uh, appeal of that film Anyway, yeah. Um, when I know uh, Tom Cruise is hanging off of a plane that's in the air, it makes a difference. Yes, or he's climbing on the world's tallest building, or whatever he's trying to kill himself doing this week. I don't yeah. know, <laughs> but yeah, it, it certainly yeah adds he, to the it he, adds to the weight. It adds yeah, to the tactile tactile nature of it. Knowing he's flying that helicopter, that's that's wild. Yeah, <laughs> that's just bananas. So yes, I agree. with There you. are yeah. people in a boat, and yeah. that works for me. And well, to our, our Northman talk uh, that Arthur and I were having that that swoopy thing you're talking about, mm-hmm. they do that practically in that movie. They do oh, that yeah. sort of infinite space feeling thing that CGI is so often used for with a practical camera movement. And it and is, a couple of those fight scenes, right? Is that what you're? I'm talking about the boat where the boat like pushes in oh. through the trees and then like comes around the backside of the boat yeah. to show him rowing. You know, um, what I was thinking about. Uh, there's some really cool uh, camera work in uh, Everything Everywhere All at Once in one of the fight scenes where the camera gets real low to the ground and swoops around. Yeah, with on the, the yeah. fanny pack? Yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. That's some good stuff. See, what we're talking about here is how cool it is when you do a thing in camera. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out. It turns out it's, it rules. <laughs> <Real> cool. <laughs> we like it. We vote yes. So there you go, dear listener. Um, we vote yes. Um, that is the general consensus round the table. I think we now move to the next part of our show, which is called Expanding the Syllabus. Dalton, can you explain to the dear listener what Expanding the Syllabus is all about? I sure can. Well, what you just heard was Bird Box getting us more excited about other movies and just... <laughs> 
Squash, how like, squash, squash. Exactly. One movie got us more excited about other movies. And that's sort of what this next portion is. We are going to talk about the film Bird Box uh, the way you would discuss it if you were to talk about it in a film studies course. We are going to try to bring an academic lens to uh, a movie that will probably never see that sort of scrutiny put upon it. And we're going to try to talk about why Bird Box is an exciting and interesting film and bring together other films that excite us when we think about Bird Box, you know, if that makes sense. It does make sense. Thank you for explaining that so well. You're so you welcome. You're going to make me jo- go first now, aren't you? Yeah, I, wanna, I just want to keep yeah. hearing your voice. That's what I thought. That's Said fine. no one never. No, God, no. I was actually just talking about this. Uh, a friend of mine uh, who, who does listen from time to time, uh, I was talking about uh, just, you know, you guys and Arthur. I was like, you know... I like to think that I have an okay radio voice. And then Arthur opens his mouth. And every time I'm just like, Man, oh, no, I know that's a good one. That's what a good one sounds like. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So uh, said no one ever. Let's hear me keep talking. What what is it about children and disasters that fascinates us so? And that is the question of this class, children and disasters. I'll be looking at some works uh, like A Bird Box in a Quiet Place. I think both films are a useful jumping off point. Uh, again, their disasters are purely fictional. You know, they are they are mon- monstrosities come to uh, menace humanity, uh, and I think that's kind of useful as a jumping off point for a very neutral, value neutral apocalypse. It's not something mankind is wrought upon itself. It is just the infinite random cruelty of the universe that uh, has beset mankind, and I I think that's more interesting sometimes. Um, as we'll talk about with other films like The Road and The Mist, those are both films where the, the calamity has been brought by, by human meddling. Uh, I think The Road is sort of implied to be a nuclear holocaust that's taken place, and in The Mist, uh, uh, the government's opened up a portal or some mm-hmm. other such nonsense. Uh, all four of those films, though, do very specifically do, deal with what do you do when you have a small child with you mm-hmm. and everybody is losing their minds mm-hmm. because infant, in, instant murder is very likely. Uh, and it, it just sort of does take you back to a, a an older and more ancient s- frame of our human mindset when danger was a much more present and direct threat and parenting was a much more life or death uh, affair on on the daily basis. Not that it isn't constantly. Uh, I know enough parents to know it, uh, it feels life or death every second of every day, and it certainly seems that way from the outside even. But I think all four of these movies that I've just mentioned uh, do a really good job of taking that idea uh, and bringing it into a, you know, a life or death peril situation. And, and all four of these films deal with how do you teach a child to be in a world of cruelty, um, and how do you try to teach them to be a good person Mm -hmm. um again i think it's more of a an issue uh in the road uh the mist and bird box both definitely deal more with logistically how do you manage a child and again i think the quiet place does this a little bit too but i think bird box for me like is one of the more compelling depictions of how do you emotionally navigate being responsible for a child, yeah. right? These other stories don't quite get into like the talk you have to have with your children uh, when there's a monster around the next corner. And, and again, I think uh, Burbox does such a good job. Uh, some other f- stories that uh, deal with this really well, another film or a uh, novel to film media adaptation, Station Eleven, uh, which uh, it just had its um, miniseries run on HBO Max, is a great show, I think, that deals with both the the immediate fallout of being a child during an apocalyptic event mm. and being an adult who was a child as as the apocalypse is sort of given way to a new form of society what is that that upbringing what is that 
foundational trauma mean for you as an adult? And how do you take care of the next generation who only knows this new world? How do you, how do you parent and, or not even parent, but guide in, in a new world? And again, uh, all of these stories have in common. I, I think this, this sort of preoccupation with, how fragile childhood is uh, a preoccupation with trying to get children not just to the other side of childhood intact but also as full functioning human beings and i think that's that's what's really interesting to me about all these stories is it's not just about keep the kid safe keep the kid alive it's it's often keep the kid human keep keep the kid yeah. like able to connect and i think that that's that's really valuable and that's that's kind of what we would look at in this class is sort of how we center children often in stories, uh, why we do that, and, and what use th that that has within storytelling, both from a practical standpoint, just, you know, uh, it's effective as far as com uh, communicating that danger is present, but what is it, you know, thematically, what does that also mean? Uh, I think the last one I would mention uh, is Children of Men, a film that doesn't involve children yeah. at all, and yet is but very much about children. Foreshadows mm -hmm. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Foresight. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's all about kind of all of these things I've already talked about, minus the children and what does that mean. Um, so those, those are the picks. Children in Disaster. I, I, I think it could be an interesting class. I think uh, along that, the book itself, Bird Box, uh, <laughs> The major moral, I think, well, maybe not moral, but one of the major dilemmas that uh, Mallory faces uh, in the book is that idea of how do I rear these children? Hmm. And there's a lot of time spent with her on how she actually interacts with the kids and trains them to hear and, and things like that. And so I think this would really supplement that yeah, so very that well as, indeed. Probably a lot more of flavor the, the the opening scene of this movie gets us right yeah that uh and, and i mean and there's a whole thing kind of spoiler alert, uh we'll kind of jump into this now but there's a whole thing in the in the book where the the character that's kind of played by john malkovich in the book his name is don mm -hmm. um but he kind of keeps telling her hey you should blind those children at birth oh right and so that's a i mean and there's a scene in there where she almost does she, she has paint thinner and she has it in her hand, and she's about to pour it out. Wow. And she stops herself. That's heavy. You know, so, I mean, it, 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 it really gets into that maternal part of it yeah. mm -hmm. a lot in the book. Wow. So I think it would really supplement your yeah, course. Yeah, really, really lay groundwork, I yeah, think. Yeah, absolutely. For what you're wanting to talk about. Yeah, wow. I, that is yeah. exactly the sort of the, the questions and concerns that I, I think would be interesting to talk about. So, yeah, and, the book would lay constantly on her mind, because one of the things she says is, she had caught a fish and her son boy mm -hmm. likes the look of it. Like he's, he's seen the fish and he likes fish. Like mm -hmm. he's kind of fascinated by fish. And mm -hmm. so some of the running thoughts she has later in the book is what are they going to think when they see other, and they haven't seen other animals and they haven't seen these, you know, so that that's always kind of at the background of her mind. I wonder if the mist, uh, the Stephen King book has any, any good stuff uh, about the kids. I know, I you know, he's such, got such a preoccupation with children. Uh, man, I don't remember. It's been a long time since I've read, read that. it though. Yeah. 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 I know the book doesn't have the, the really grim, dark ending. That no. the film has, I know that it's sort of a much more, I don't remember that paternal part of it being as strong. Yeah. Cause it's, it's for me, it's such a strong part. Of what I remember from the film is it, Thomas it really James becomes relationship with his son. more about the community that's built there. I think, which is a part of that with Marsha Gay Harden's mm -hmm. character yeah. in the movie. But, but I, I really don't remember that paternal part of it as much. Yeah, not, I, especially not in comparison to something like this. I definitely know I've left a lot of fodder on the table. I, I know there's some works that I probably just didn't think about as far as th that are really good explorations of this. But I'm, I'm glad to hear that thematically, like the the novel Bird Box has even even more of this kind yeah. of stuff. 
That's great. What? Uh, how would you teach it, Arthur? What, what, what sort of so class I are you looking at? I was thinking about this, and I was really thinking about the draw. Obviously, this and then Quiet Place have come up already. But that idea of sensory horror, mm, okay. I, I guess. And so I would call this sensational horror Ooh. Uh, <laughs> a screenwriting course, though. I, I would tackle okay. this because it, it ties back into something that comes from Save the Cat uh, from Blake Snyder. Um, for those who don't know, this is kind of the text of writing four quadrant films uh, to try to sell in Hollywood. Um, so but, not for writing good movies. Yeah. I mean, I don't know that that's correct. Hmm. You could also find I mean, Tom Lennon and Ben Garrett's book, Writing Mo- Movies for Fun and for Profit, which roughly is sort of a similar... Roughly 60 years of Hollywood cinema was based off the four-quadrant film well, that's and true. Well, commercial just, cinema. For, uh, okay. Okay. Well, I'm just... I understand Dustin's point. It is more no. interesting when films and, are and, confrontational. And Blake not. Snyder is very, very, very uh, uppity about... Um, uh, Art films. Ah, uh, oh yeah, He's, yeah, yeah. He got a bone to he pick. He has that same attitude, but about art movies and, okay. and indie films. Really, the other way around. Yeah, though. Yeah, yeah. Like they are less valuable than yep. four quadrant cinema. Yep. Why See, I you... love, I love it when yeah. people have that take that like entertainment movies yeah. are, are the actual high benchmark for movie yeah, making because those are the ones that make money, right? Exactly. And that's, and that's what people see. Commercially art driven, right? Yeah, it's so interesting. And God help man. you, that should be both. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's yeah, yeah. why there's this strong push from some people like really want to see that MCU Oscar happen because they want they want a world where the big four quadrant thing is both. Um uh, but I do want to pull from here because I think he he does tap into a lot of really good nuggets and and one of them is when developing hero uh it's to stress the primal urge uh and going primal primal primal. Uh once you've got the hero the motivation for the hero is uh, to succeed must be a basic one. It's because primal urges get our attention, survival, hunger, sex, protection of loved ones, fear of death. They grab us. Um, And this is all about our hero. Give him stakes. Give him real stakes. Primal stakes. Stakes that are basic that we understand. Make the hero want something real and simple. Survival, hunger, sex, protection of loved ones, fear of death. And I think that's what these get into because there is nothing more primal than those five base senses that we are birthed with Mm -hmm. in, in an ideal world. Obviously, that's not the same for every person, but... In an ideal world, you know, we would all be born with those five senses. And that omission or restriction or enhancement of one of those or overload of one of those senses, I think, really gets to something primal about it because we, you know, hopefully could all smell, we could all hear, we can all see, right? Um, and I think horror that's directed at that really is has the potential to be super effective. And I think even not necessarily something like horror, but something like Unshi and Nandalu, is that mm-hmm. the eye movie? Mm-hmm. Um, right. I mean, just the attack on, I mean, cutting the eye, right. I mean, that is you as just, primal as it movie. gets. Right. Yeah. And, and so I think there's something very powerful about that. And so I, I've put together a, a group of films based around the five senses. Uh, so for sight, I think obviously Bird Box uh, would be that. But I think kind of in conversation with what Dustin's alluding to, this idea of the impact of visual media and culture, I would also talk about uh, Gore Verbinski's The Ring mm. as well. Nice. Uh, and how that plays, especially in a viral media world, and, and how that kind of comes up more quickly. Um, but to take it from a, from a broader in-narrative view, I'd also look at it a, uh, a wider view, and we'd actually talk about Friday the 13th Part 3D. Yes. And we talk about the impact of 3D filmmaking and how sure. that adds an element to the horror and to the feel and to the experience of, of what's taking place. Uh, for sound, uh, we would look at A Quiet Place, obviously, uh, but we'd also look at Pontypool and Barbarian Sound Studio uh, right there. Um, Neither of which are four-quadrant films. No, uh, but A Quiet Place is. Uh, yeah, it certainly is. 
but Barbarian Sound Suit is all about sound design. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And the effects of listening to this and having to recreate these sounds and the impact that that can have on a person. Um, Pontypool dealing with language and how we speak and what that means and how that perverts us and how we handle that and engage with cult and language and how it changes and how it's fluid. Kiss is killed, baby. Yep, there it is. And so I, I think from a sound perspective, we look at that and how those uh, come together in, in, in a script form. Uh, for smell, uh, this was the trickiest one to come Had up to with. Been. Uh, but I went with Perfume, Story of a Murderer, starring Ben Wishaw, yeah, uh, which okay. is about a young perfumist who is lauded across the world or the gland and is trying to capture the scent of young femininity. Uh, and in doing so, begins to murder, Be as the title nasty would. nasty little murder boy. Yes, uh, and, and try to replicate this sense. Uh, I remember so, seeing this trailer before I knew who Ben Wishaw was, yeah. and now that I know who Ben Wishaw is, I just think it's about much this more trailer interesting. all the time. Yeah, I've got to see this movie at some um, point. But uh, I think, uh, you know, obviously it's hard to do, I mean, you know, enchanting smells, or, you know, I was really trying to figure something there, and, and this is the best option I found. Uh, but again, going back to that uh, presentation element, I think we could talk about Sensorama, or Aromarama, mm, uh, which yeah. was an experiment uh, in, I believe, the 60s and 70s, where they tried to initially uh, produce scents to go along with the movies mm-hmm. uh, in in uh, the auditorium. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Waters notably tried to uh, use this with scratch and stiff cards with polyester. <laughs> uh, and it's been a few, a few times since then has been tried with, uh, I think, Rugrats. One of the Rugrats movies tries this as well, uh, presenting a cu- uh, audience members with these scratch and sniff cards so that when you get to a certain point in the movie it tells you a number and you scratch and sniff that number on the card you can still find 40x showings not all of them but some of them will do a smell thing Uh, their dune showing had a smell for the spice that's weird it was it was weird it smelled like a very chemically cinnamon Uh, (laughs) i think about that smell all the time and i hope to smell it again someday well there you go uh well when they get the sequel maybe you will Dune Um, part two starring christopher walken and flope you is she is she That's official? What I heard. I, I know I she's heard. rumored. Uh, I heard she signed on. Oh, nice, nice. I want to go ahead and submit just a episode of television. I oh, think yes. that might help yeah. in, in the realm of horror, which is the uh, second or third episode of The Walking Dead guts. Where they hack up the dude and cover themselves up. Oh, and zombie guts. To, to, yeah. to, cover, to the, cover off. Yeah. That's, yeah. And and and, and that, that that's a very olfactory yeah, episode certainly. of that film. Yeah. yeah. Or that series. And that was a tricky one to come up with. Uh, but taste. Uh, I, I, I got a little fun with, and I went with Climax and The Crazies, both of which the hysteria is presented through a liquid substance, the LSD, yeah. then the spiked punch, the crazies, and the contaminated water. Yeah, okay. Um, both mm-hmm. of those kind the of impact. The taste that makes you go bananas. Yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I found a list that also included the Green Inferno, which would move us into cannibalism as well, which right. is obviously the extreme of, I think, taste. Yeah. Uh, but so I don't want to watch the Green are, Inferno. Neither Living Dead or something yeah, like that. Yeah, so would maybe be zombie game. narrative yeah. as well mm-hmm. with that. Raw. Ooh. <gasps> Raw. That's good that as the, well. The meat of the long pig. Yes. Very good. Very good. Uh, and then for touch, we'd probably look at the story of King Midas initially. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the danger of you can't touch the things you love and greed and how that can lead you to that destructive path. Uh, but further along with touch, we'd also look at it follows. Um, nice. And nice. For the way in which uh, intimate touch uh, and the dangers uh, that culture has presented or ideology has presented that goes along with that as well. Arthur. So I think that's what I would do here is uh, sensational horror. This is great. Yeah. So 
It'd Those be kind are, of a high concept little Yeah, little all bit really here. great picks. Yeah, that's though. fun. I, yeah. I, I like that really, very, very much. I'm really pogged for the It Follows uh, touch choice. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Um, so what I would do for my syllabus, I think, friends, is I was, well, I'm thinking about birds. Uh, and birds and horror specifically. I'm thinking this in a horror course, probably looking at... Uh, using the tarot as an inspiration, the major arcana of horror iconography. And so there might be a module on gloves, on, um, you know, the the blade itself, and those kinds of things, uh, the mask in horror. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so the, a section on birds, particularly in horror. Okay, and and yeah. I, I think you begin with Samuel Taylor Cooleridge's uh, poem, Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Okay. And the albatross. Speaking of albatrosses. Right, yeah. yeah, Hanging around one's neck as, again, a sort of a harbinger of either good or ill, uh, moving on to literary influences, uh, which also demonstrate itself in cinematic influences. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's um, poem, The Raven. Mm -hmm. Obviously. Obviously. And that sort of move between that English romanticism to dark romanticism post-transcendentalism you know i think some artistic movement uh sort of just the bones of that which becomes horror is found there and sort of wrestling with some of those sort of literary um antecedents of the genre to begin with uh there then uh as you move into cinematic horror obviously alfred hitchcock's the birds is obviously the the the, the first sort of major I mean, it's not the first, but it is one of the most important instances of this. Do you do De Maurier's novella as well? I, I wondered about that in terms of adaptation because Bird Box also has the adaptation yeah. as well. And so it, it's definitely possible because uh, one of my other selections is um, James O'Barr's The Crow. Well, I'm, I'm actually looking at Alex Proya's The Crow, but we could go to James O'Barr as well. And this, again, this becomes the totemic bird. Yes. As, but not so much a source of horror, but I guess, it, well, if you're a, it's not a good day to be a bad, bad guy, guy. skank. Yeah. <laughs> so it, <laughs> if that's the case, um, but this sort of spirit of vengeance kind of thing. Uh, and of course, the crow itself lends itself very much to a lot of the tropes of horror without being a horror movie of itself per se. Um, bird Box obviously is a good example here of the bird as the canary in the coal mine. Um, quite literally, it yeah. is the... The, the sign of the baddies coming that way. Spoilers, uh, I guess, there. And then I, I guess uh, in terms of a cinematic raven or at least an adaptation of The Raven, I'm looking at Roger Corman's The Raven starring Vincent Price as a, as a good possibility for that as well. But just looking at, again, the sort of totemic, the actual source, the actual monsters themselves, the use of it as canary of the coal mine, mm-hmm. uh, those various sort of ways in which birds are deployed here. Um the harbinger itself in the case of a uh, Coleridge. So um, those are some of the ways in which we might approach that in a, a, a longer course. I like a horror iconography class. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the, cool. Yeah. That, that's yeah. kind of where I'm thinking. That would be real dope. So you can uh, do any uh, meme work. Talk about how birds are in fact real. Uh, yeah, birds at, at are, birds not, are not real. They're not memes. real. They're not real. I mean, yeah. well, I mean, obviously, you'd have to do that as part of one of the lecture. You, you know, have that's, to, that's right? like an opening slide at some point. Or a birdemic joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think about things killing a little the bit. Crowing. The crowing. Oh, God, the crowing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> It's great. That's good TV. But we do we know things killing with the killer turkey? Yes. Yeah, I'm aware. I watched the full moon. Film. I've seen the poster yeah. several times. Yeah. yeah, and so I don't know. I would probably clip that. I probably wouldn't actually. Yeah, probably make not. my students watch that straight to video. You know, of the um, was it evil bong and 
Is it Evil Bong? Yeah, Evil Bong's a thing. Evil I think Bong, it's the same yeah. studio. Yeah, it's the same studio. So, yeah, yeah I wouldn't probably huh. force that upon students because kindness. Yes. But. <laughs> make people watch things that are not good to just for the fun of it. Yeah. I am making them watch a Roger Corman movie. But yeah. There's, well, there's yeah. fun to be had there, though. Yeah, there is fun to be had. So, there you go, dear listener. Um, your syllabus just got much longer. I believe now it is time for us to get down to business. Oh, that's right. And that business is analysis. And we are down to our socks, ready to do something with Bird Box. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Because It's yeah. my bird in a box. Ooh. Okay, so we were talking about something, I think, uh, interestingly, that might relate to sort of big film theory, capital F, capital T, film theory. That is the idea of suture theory, um, which is a, a, a quasi-psychoanalytical thing. The idea of being placed as a viewer in the film that mm-hmm. we're sutured in, mm-hmm. right? Gotcha. And that our our view is the view of characters or the view of plot. And and the Who way came up with the suture thing. That's uh, a very clever su- way to talk about the film watching oh, experience. Oh gosh, it's a it's eighties film theory. Okay. Teresa De Laurentiis comes to mind, but I don't think she's the one. That's okay. Um, I was just curious if you had that name ready to go. But that's sort of an interesting way to talk about yeah, like that, that transposition experience. Give me a name, perhaps here in just a moment. But but the idea of suture film when it's effective is uh, you don't it, it it always hides the apparatus. So it is tied in part to apparatus theory, um, and and so you're not you, you it makes you forget you're watching a movie. Mm-hmm. And I, I was thinking about uh, w- what we were talking about about the practical effects of using the uh, the the boating scenes, but I was also thinking about the point of view shots behind the blindfold. Yeah, you never think to yourself they wrapped a blindfold around a camera. No. Correct. This is no. effective suture. Yeah. yeah. Because you think I am Sandra Bullock looking yep. through my blindfold. Yeah. I am John Malkovich looking through my you yeah. never once. And uh, and so uh, immediately I was like, oh, I and again, suture is all about the looking and the gazing of film. And again, this is sort of where it's it, one of the descendants of Laura Mulvey's idea of the gaze. This is making me think about Arthur's class last week talking about the one shot film. Mm-hmm. Right. And then the 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 immersion factor that you get from sort of trying to remove as much of the seams of filmmaking as possible. Right. And, and suture it, part of what suture talks about is how when it's done really effectively, what we've fail to see are the cuts mm-hmm. it, it is a so suture film uh suture theory would use it less in the single take film because the cut is part of what r- sort of midi- militates against suture mm-hmm. because uh the cut is what is the break yeah right and so it, it's the opposite of montage theory where the one and one equals three where you get image one image two yeah. and that sort of creates the dialectic yep. of the third concept when you see, you know, um, the, the Kuleshov experiment, you see the man, and then you see the bowl of soup, and you think hunger, right? Yeah. Um, those kinds of ideas of montage. Rather, here, it, 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 immerse, it is that sort of immersive quality. Mm-hmm. And uh, I would, one, of, one of the things I want to say is uh, Kasha Silverman is the person, isn't it? Um, there you go. Um, Arthur found it. Best in the biz. Yeah, he really is good. Uh, so that's, again, in the, what is it, 80s? Is it about 1980 or so? I can't figure that much a, out a date on it but we've got the name and that's yeah, what's yeah. important it, it, it's, 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 it's pulse movie mm-hmm. um sort of psychoanalytical film theory is sort of the 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 milieu we're in here but yeah i just want to throw out that this movie absolutely does does everything it can to to um 
hide the device. It doesn't lay bare the device in any way, the apparatus yeah. in this case. And I, I find uh, the viewing experience of it to be really, really compelling because of that. And Well, it, does, it doesn't get any simpler than the way you put it. No, at no point during those scenes do you think, oh, they put a blindfold on the camera. You you think, yeah. oh man, feels it would be so weird to be blindfolded on a river. That's yeah. all you think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that is a very effective filmmaking yep. to kind of mess with the apparatus in such a way that like you don't even think about it, which can be done a different way, right? I mentioned Children of Men earlier, right. and that, that big famous oneer that they do ends up there's some blood splatter that hits the camera, and yeah. for whatever reason, like showing the apparatus in that way, like oh, that's right, there is now something on my eye because I am the camera at this mm-hmm. moment. And it right. sort of like acknowledges the apparatus while still doing that suture thing of putting you right there. Yeah, the, you identify the as the camera yeah. and you don't and you forget that there is one. Yes. I yeah. mean that's that that's what suture does. Yeah. Right. And and and, and then, then the, you know the way in which the gaze works in this, you know, the older version of this that it sort of inspires is that our mode of looking um, identification with the character mm-hmm. is sort of really really valuable here. And so for yep. instance in the the films of Alfred Hitchcock, you identify with um, the looking of uh, Jimmy Stewart. You look through his eyes yeah. and you look at Kim Novak as Jimmy Stewart looks at Kim Novak and you with the same longing lusting sort of look there. Or you look as Norman Bates looks. Or you look as Norman Bates. Or you looks. look as the children look at the opening of Bird Box on Sandra Bullock giving you this intense monologue about how you have to shut the fuck up and do exactly what she says or or you're going to die. And that's, yeah, you are, Sandra Bullock is here to take you on a journey and it's going to be scary and if you don't do what she says, you're going to die and that's the movie Bird Box. Mm -hmm. And that's very effective filmmaking. Absolutely, absolutely. To to keep you in that POV, in that tight close-up on her, like as she's giving them the rundown of like what this journey is going to be like is a truly titanic first scene like Mm -hmm. a a really remarkable first scene in a movie Mm -hmm. like that immediately like gets you there yep well and i was gonna say a part of the power of the film is the way in which it is a ranging um identification for the suture that we do identify as the children Mm -hmm. but we also identify as sandra bullock we also identify quite a lot as her sister the whole time i'm her sister going get some sense get you know deal with the situation i I, i'm her there's a way in which even though i don't like him I'm identifying with Malkovich. With, with Malkovich. Yeah. Like, I totally get that character and his yeah. perspective, and I'm, like, living in his skin yeah. as he performs that role. I'm living inside of Tom yeah. as he performs. That really, this film is really, really brilliantly effective. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and again, Suture is part of the explanation for that. Well, everybody is such a whole... Like, you mentioned the sister character, Sarah Paulson, um, who, whose name I'm blanking on, or character name, I mean. <clears throat> but the scene where she sees... You know, we're the thing, mm-hmm. right? With the day zero outbreak that Sandra Bullock lives through after her, her OBGYN appointment, um, where they're on the road and Sarah Paulson's like, there, there's, yeah, there's, there's computer effect that they have everybody's eyes do. They don't need it for Sarah Paulson, man, because her face sells everything about mm-hmm. it. And it is such a moment of identification where you're, you're looking at this face and Sarah Paulson as a performer is communicating to you that she has seen something. That is beyond the veil. She has seen something that has cracked a hole in her universe, and she simply cannot go on. And that's and the, you believe it. And that's the moment when the when the identification switches because you've been identifying with her, trying to talk sense to Sandra Bullock, yeah. and now you're Sandra Bullock watching in horror yeah. as this thing happens to your sister, yeah. to to my sister. Yeah. My sister yeah. is going to walk in front of a dump truck in a minute. And that's it's, God, that's what the a, identification. What a there. moment too! Like what a 
a moment of like very matter of fact violence mm-hmm. yeah. of just like really kind of quick and horrific and so uh what's the word i'm looking for ordinary mm-hmm. i guess is it, it is just sort of such a, a frank depiction of like a catastrophic violence that, that we get in those opening scenes of uh, lydia the the john malkovich's character's wife getting into the burning car as mm. she tries to help sandra yeah. bullock uh, help mallory get to the house that all these other people are taking refuge in there's so many great moments in that that opening uh moment of that scene of catastrophe that was one of those moments that i'm like this movie is punching above its weight class as far as like being more effective at moments than something like uh, A Quiet Place, which, as Arthur has said, is much more effective at communicating scale and, again, is much more craft-wise effective at being a thriller. There is just a lot of really good work done in that film as far as to be exciting, to be propulsive. And and yet, in these early scenes in Bird Box, we get, again, this film punching above its weight class. It definitely does not have the budget that A Quiet Place had by any... Like, it very clearly doesn't. And yet, like, it has these moments where... It really is selling this cataclysmic event that's happening, and and in a quiet place, the flashback scenes that we get there are, are, are emotionally devastating in, in some ways. But it's it's they're emotionally devastating because mistakes are made, right? And and characters pay for mistakes that are made. Whereas in this, it is just sort of a random event. Mm-hmm. Uh, there there's no mistake to be made. It is just sort of a random chaos that's happening and unfolding. And it really does, as you said, suture you in there and, and put you in so many different perspectives so effectively, uh, both in that immediate scene of all the violence and catastrophe that's taking place. But as you said, even later on when Malkovich is uh, being, Mallory's talking to Malkovich about how he's like her dad. And mm-hmm. he it does sort of very effectively write him as a real human character to be like, oh, yeah, was he devastatingly handsome, too, or whatever it is right, he says. Right. And is, is sort of playing along, but also acknowledging, like, yeah, I hear what you're saying. Your dad sounds like an asshole, and I get why he was, because that's why I am the way I am. It's, uh, yeah, it, it does manage to, like, have empathy for even the most sort of repugnant of characters in Malkovich. Mm-hmm. Yeah, humanizes really him, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that that kind of character in, a, in an apocalypse movie or a disaster movie that sort of... Uh, I'm out for me and me first. That kind of character doesn't get humanized all the time. Mm-mm. And and for that, for him to end up being a lot more human than some of the other characters is is very interesting. Speaking of characters who to come across as unhuman, uh, this film's got some weird stuff about the mentally ill um, that we should yeah. probably deal with. I, I don't know. Arthur, does the book get into the sort of the acolytes of the suicide ghosts. I don't, I don't know what to call the monster of bird box other than the bird box monster. Yeah. I mean, the book just refers to say cinema, creatures. Creatures. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the acolytes is, I mean, of the creatures. Yeah. I, I mean, that's not really a thing in the book. There's more of a movie invention. Yeah. I mean, Gary is a thing. Mm-hmm. The, the guy who shows the up at the house. The, yeah. Yeah. Just kind of this them. chaos agent. Um, the book does kind of question a few times, you know, what would happen if somebody who was already mentally unstable did see mm. the creature that is kind of toyed with. Okay. But I think but, the film kind of tries to explore that, right? We've gotcha. got these bands of marauders. Now there are a couple of other people who show up in the book. Like there's the man on the river is in the book. Gotcha. Okay. Like that, that character you is in the book. You need to see the light. Yeah. Kind yeah. Yeah. Of thing. Gotcha. yeah. But it is very much, it's really him and Gary that yeah. we get any engagement with. You don't get like the whole thing with tom did i mean assume, i assume tom also dies in the book or is there a tom character in the book tom is in the book but he actually dies at the house gotcha, gotcha. so she is the only survivor gotcha that's wow. the big change that is that's a the huge biggest change, change. It's a huge change yeah wow 
That's very interesting. I wonder, you know, I'm very curious about that adaptation choice. I think it's nice to get more Trevante Rhodes, so I'm fine with yeah. it. So uh, when uh, Gary goes unhinged at the house, I mean, in the, I mean, that's the, it is the emotional climax of the book. Wow. Wow. Is that sequence in the house that's where so they're giving birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're back. To, I mean, we can get back to that later, but to your point, no, I mean, it doesn't really deal with these acolytes or, you know, there's not these people who are believing or worshiping the creatures. Yeah. And even Gary seems to be acting more out of just kind of a anarchist because he, he is, he says in there that he had gone to, uh, another house mm-hmm. with his brother and a friend. And one of the friends there had started making weird points about you know, fighting the monsters and doing like creating militia and all this stuff. Uh, and then one day he ripped down the, the, the blankets off the windows and drove everybody insane. But then we find out he was, he was the one who did it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of a fun. Yeah. There's a lot. I mean, Gary has a lot more in the book. I liked Gary as a character. I think he's interesting uh, once he gets, shows up in the movie. So I, it makes sense the book does more with him. I yeah. like the time the movie takes as a, using him as a sleeper cell instead of just immediately just running in, like, you know, guns blazing, pulling down curtains and trying well, to force people Well, it works, right? Because it lets Malkovich look like the asshole. Mm-hmm. He's, he doesn't want to save this guy. And so it, it works to, like, to hold that reveal back. But You it know, is... he is never wrong. Malkovich? The character? Yeah. yeah. He's right he's about He's actually everything. never yeah. wrong, yeah. as he says. He... Yeah, I mean, you can't <laughs> argue with that. Awful. It it's... hurts me that I identify the most with Malkovich. I told him off air. <laughs> That's uh, fair. This is a great story. We were uh, you, we were talking about. I've got to put. Uh, we're gonna put one of our dogs down. So we, we, I made a joke about that being dark, uh, and keep, my wife said something about it being dark, and and I said that Malkovich has that line uh, after uh, spoiler alert, uh, Charlie Little Rel Howery's character uh, dies. Mm-hmm. Um, oh great, another novel I don't have to read. <laughs> And I immediately thought in my head, watching this movie, like, I would say that joke. Yeah. Because that's how I process trauma. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wrong place, wrong time. That's exactly what I would say. That's the thing that's so funny about, for me, and again, Malkovich is sort of an interesting performer because he hates film acting, uh, which just makes him in just yeah. one of inherently one of the most fascinating Fascinate. movie actors, yeah. his, his disdain for, the, for his job. But when he delivers that, it is delivered in, to me in a way that is sort of wistful, right? Like, it lands as... He he is mad that Charlie's dead. Like he's upset. He yeah. he is trying to. But cope. that's how he's and he is yeah. he is perceived not as he wants to be perceived. I, I, he is always perceived as the monster. I think that character is probably the most well drawn of everybody in this. Maybe even better than Mallory. I think Mallory's definitely there. There, nobody comes as close. I think right? com- in complexity, nuance. I think that Douglas character that that Malkovich was portraying is. And, has a lot going on for as much i mean we get a good percentage of him but i think that scene between him and this is after charlie dies and again we've already mentioned the scene but when sandra book's talking about her father that scene with him and the two of them in the kitchen as one of the scenes of the movie i mean i really like what they do with those two characters in that moment yeah yeah it's it's the it's the moment of the movie that definitely i think underlines what you're saying the most is is that like that gives so much texture to both of those characters. Yes. It's, it's such a huge moment because I I think, I think we, we, we're not really effectively using Donald as a character without that scene. And, and likewise, we're not, that gives us uh, some insight into Mallory that we really desperately need at that point in the movie. We, we could really use some more knowledge about her. And I I think, again, it's so effective at, at telling you a lot about both of them. Um, I'm still unsatisfied with what we've come down on, on the, the whole, 
uh, George. Is that his name? George. Which the, one? The sleeper cell. Gary. 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 Uh, Gary and the and the other oh yeah yeah, yeah. creature the mental health. yeah yeah the mental I, health that well I think it comes back into the big theme right the big theme is that somehow seeing has become diseased mm-hmm. and I, again I think thinking of the monster as some sort of ghost or spirit mm-hmm. is um, probably the right way to think about that mm-hmm. that something has happened in our looking that has you know become something of a death drive in society that is driving us towards destruction and that those who are I, I think the use of the mentally ill here are those who are looking the least critically is is the way in which I think the film is suggesting that I'm not sure but that's that is the immediate way I read it is that they are the ones who are simply who have less resources to defend themselves Against the image, you know. I think the the oh, go ahead, Arthur. I mean, it's able, it's absolutely ableist. Well, but there's also a reading right where you could say that maybe they have the most offenses. They they are already operating on a different wavelength than everybody else, mm-hmm. um, and, and therefore are immune at some level to what's going on. But they're but, desensitized to human life because yeah. they recognize that most of the people they show will just kill themselves. Yeah, and that's yeah. okay, and that's fine. Yeah, it, it is. Yeah, it. it it's hard to call it anything but ableist, unfortunately. It is sort of a bummer mm-hmm. uh, because the film doesn't really do anything with it. I, I, I'm definitely kind of curious how the book handles it because I'm sure it's probably a little bit more nuanced or at the very least less w- without having a, an organized band of acolytes, which is having these two wild cards and Gary and the man on the river. I feel like that's a kind of a more interesting sort of guessing at what what could be going on with some people's mm-hmm. reaction to it as opposed to saying oh that guy that works at the grocery store yeah he did time and was unwell yeah just i don't know it rubs me the wrong way and i i want to find a more satisfying answer well you know? i think so another thing i think the other big major shift i would say is in the book the creatures don't necessarily drive you to Suicide. Really? Okay. They drive you to extreme violence. Oh. So, like, one of the first cases are sisters who uh, saw the creatures uh, and then wound up, like, eating somebody. Whoa. You know, before killing them. Like, a lot of times it does lead to suicide, especially if there's no one around to enact violence on. Gotcha. But a lot of times there is, you know, two people, like, in the book had uh, Sarah Paulson's sister character been in the car with... Sandra Bullock's character, she would have attempted to kill her gotcha. directly rather than this kind of indirect crash that happens. Gotcha. That's so interesting to, uh, as far as like an adaptation choice to move it more into. I think it makes it a little cleaner. I think so. In a way. Yeah. It, it, yeah. I, I, as far as even blocking of scenes probably makes things a little bit cleaner. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's definitely an easier sort of. Yeah, less chaotic, maybe. I don't know. But yeah, that's that's a very interesting adaptation choice that I wouldn't have even guessed at. The, the, the book is sort of more... It reminds me of Stephen King's Cell a little bit, because yeah. that's sort of how the mm-hmm. the cell phone plague and yep. that operates, right? Is yeah. You do violence on yourself if there's nobody in your immediate vicinity. Oh, that would have been good for my... Oh, uh, yeah. I forgot about Cell. cell. Yeah. I forgot about Cell. I think everybody forgot about Cell. I think even Stephen King's probably forgotten about Cell mm-hmm. at this point. Well, it's, it's sort of hypermoralizing, you know, in that yeah. sense. But, yeah. but I, I do think the point, though, is this idea of a corrupted media, right? And that, Well, you made me think of uh, In the Mouth of Madness mm-hmm. uh, when you mm-hmm. mentioned earlier the, the, the site that breaks uh, society, right? And that this is sort of what you're talking about now, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and that by the, the, we, we've, we've developed a habit of looking. 
Right, and we need to break ourselves of our looking habits. Hmm. Otherwise, we are going to kill ourselves, right? Quite, you know, I mean, uh, in a sort of a royal we kind of sense there. And uh, and that, I think, is an interesting provocation, you know. And, and again, the film, because it is a movie, and you've got to figure out a way to sort of develop alkalites, and how are you going to, you know, I mean, it's going to either be ableist, or it's going to be um, elitist, or it's going to be classist in the way in which you're going to, you know, if you're going to have a group of people who are just like, I'm into the looking, Mm-hmm. You're gonna. I mean, I don't. I don't know how you demonstrate that narratively, if that makes sense. It's it's a thorny thing to do. I think you lose that aspect of the narrative, honestly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah. I, it is so helpful to, to this story to have an outside a- antagonist, right? Mm-hmm. An agent of chaos, as Arthur said, somebody that comes in and makes it harder to survive is is sort of a compelling dramatic element. Um, but again, I, I am fascinated by this idea of this, the site that is breaking society. It's, again, why I thought of In the Mouth of Madness, thinking of Sam Neill at the end of that movie in the theater alone by himself, watching his his movie adaptation that is breaking the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I love that idea, right, of, of the thing that is so unseeable that it will break the world. Uh, it's it's a, I don't know, a very compelling idea dramatically. And right. I think thematically, as you said, like our, our looking habits... It sounded like you were saying we all need to stop watching TV. Is what it sounded like you were saying. Well, I which mean, is sort of an interesting. I, take I think on we need it. to be wiser about it. Yeah, I mean that's yeah. the thing is that we need to be more selective. Yeah. in our looking, there are times when looking is fine. There are times when looking is less fine, and there, I think there is something of a, a moral to the Aesop's fable here. You know that some of our looking might desensitize us to human life and do even our own self-betterment that we might be looking at ways that are self-destructive and ways in which some of us are so into it that we are cheapening the lives of others and now i'm looking at like video games and that kind mm. of stuff right well, or even uh you know sort of the 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 passive nature of people filming things happening right mm-hmm. oh yeah the the smartphone is intermediary in, in moments mm-hmm. of tragedy and and sort of like this is all we know to do is to capture the moment and, right and for posterity i mean for crying out loud today we're recording on the 15th of may um yesterday a mass shooting took place at a Buffalo, grocery store yeah. that was twitch live streamed yeah didn't know that that's not the first time that sucks i didn't know it was uh, yeah, the christchurch shooting those, happened yeah. that way and you know so yeah. there yeah there's not the first time but again you know but this is what we're doing now yeah, and so I, I think Bird Box is speaking that I'm not sure it's speaking to that. It's not doing anything constructive as much as it's sort of hanging a lampshade on that particular idea, and then moving on. Yeah, there's an idea here uh, about love making you soft that we haven't really talked about that I think is interesting. And um, I don't know really know how it connects to these other themes we're talking about. But there is a vulnerability that love sort of creates as well. The, the idea of being, I'm going to care for these children. Mm-hmm. There's that vulnerability. And yeah. then we have Olympia's, you know, love has made her soft, that she doesn't know how to take care of herself and, you know, operate shotguns and, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of thing. But it's also what causes her to let Gary in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's also love that makes Donald even harder, right? It's losing Lydia at the beginning of the movie that's sort of pushes him further into being the the I have to survive at all costs asshole. Yeah. Um, which is, again, it's it maybe the opposite. Love has made him harder, unfortunately. Well, love is fundamentally risk. I mean, mm. this is this is a mm. philosophical okay. concept that, you know, has been 
teased out in multiple places. But yeah, I mean, that's the idea is that without, with love, you will take risks. Yeah. It, it fundamentally requires the possibility of injury. And here the stakes are much higher. Obviously, it's survival, you know, um, there. But yeah. Yeah, I, th- I just think it's interesting. And again, it's, it is sort of a, a tough thing to navigate period whether it's uh we're living in a, a bird box world or a uh, regular world of well live streamed mass shootings mm-hmm. uh you know you don't need spooky creatures to reckon with the the terrors that are being alive <laughs> right uh yeah. but you know it, it is uh it's it's an interesting question that the film asks and again i don't think it asks it to have an answer for it um because it it definitely doesn't seem to agree with that sentiment, right? Because it is, uh, it is the love of the, for these children that uh, ultimately motivates Sandra Bullock to get them to a, a place where they will experience a fuller kind of love, mm-hmm. right? They get uh, spo- now. Of course, we're in spoiler talk territory. This is the the portion of the show Dustin aptly warned you about. Uh, they get to the colony, and it is turns out to be a school for the blind. Um, and of course they are very prepared for a, a world where seeing is death. Uh, they, they are prepared to live in a sightless world and have set up this colony and are bringing people to it, to, to help them, uh, rebuild the world or rebuild something that resembles society. And, and th- that promise of living like regular children is what gets, you know, Sandra Bullock to get them there, right? That is the, the motivating factor. And it's, you know, she she does come around and say, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't let you hear the end of Tom's story, right? Tom is trying to show real uh, parental love and affection to these children. And uh, Mallory is worried that that affection is going to get those children killed. And she does end up on, you know, it takes losing Tom to make her realize that, like, being soft with these children is what's going to make them well-rounded human mm-hmm. beings. Arthur, you talked a little bit about the book getting into her, her dealing with, the, you know, sort of her conflicting maternal instincts as far as like teaching them to be real people, whole people versus keeping them safe is does the book navigate any of this at all? As far as the, like, uh, obviously I know Tom dies earlier in the novel, so there's no, I should have let Tom finish his story, but is there any like big moment of I've been too hard on you in the book that we like we get in the film? No, I, 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 there's a big shift here on how the kids are portrayed themselves. Mm -hmm. Um, in the book, it's, it's heavily emphasized. She has been training them for this moment since birth. Oh, okay. She's trained them how to hear. She, you know, goes yeah, outside. Yeah, Stones thing in the yeah, movie. And it's a lot more intensive in the book because it's, she goes outside and makes 30 different noises. She comes in and she tells them to tell them exactly what they heard. Wow. And she realizes the boy has a sense to hear even things she wasn't planning to make. And, and so they be, I mean, they're pivotal to her succeeding on the river because oh. one's at the bow, one's at the back, and they are saying, I can hear this, I hear this, I hear this, oh, and wow. they're guiding her down the river. They're Whoa. like her sonar, yeah. And they're younger as well. Gotcha. Uh, another big shift there is that the book starts, the, the outbreak starts on the day she finds out she's pregnant. Oh, okay. And the span of them in the house with the housemates is that nine-month period. Oh, so it's a little longer gotcha. than, yeah. Yeah. Um, gotcha. And so the, the the kids are very much instruments of survival, and they all seem to have a base understanding of, you know, we need to get out there. You know, the kids in the book would never get out of the boat. Gotcha. You know they what I mean? Yeah. More, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, 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 they are much more effective survivors. Much more, yeah. You know, the real life unruly child. You know, it's sort of kind of connecting to that sort of emotional uh, relation or relatability kind of core of yeah. raising a child and like trying to wrestle with. 
to what extent do I protect? To what extent do yeah. am I authoritarian? To yep. what extent do I allow mistakes? Right. And some mistakes are fatal. Yeah. And how do I negotiate those tensions? Yeah. And, and you always, you know, you always make mistakes. There yeah. always are failings there. Yeah. And so wrestling and with that. That yeah. moment in the film, there's a moment where she apologizes to the daughter for being too hard and being too. That would not happen in the book. The yeah, Mallory sure. of the book would not have had that kind of emotional lapse, I guess, mm-hmm. because it is all about safety. It is all about surviving. Now, when they get to that school for the blind, I assume it's the same there place that, in the book, right? Yeah. And there's that moment of, you know, she doesn't say, oh, you know, the kids aren't like, oh, I don't have names. She's like, yeah, as soon as she's there, she says, this is Olympia, this is Tom. Oh, okay. You know, so I, there is that moment, I think, of relief and reprieve there. Now you but can... un, in that span of the three years or four years that they are, she's raising them. Mm-hmm. It is very much, you need to be very, so from birth. Mm-hmm. And you're then at, it's the boy you're out girl. of the army now. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's yeah, really yeah, what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that's what it is. Now we can yep. be people. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. What were you gonna say? I was just gonna say the boy, the his name's boy and her name's girl. That's in the book as well. Yep. Okay. Yeah. That's what I, th- I thought you were saying. Yeah. I was just clarifying. They okay. don't get names until that last. And that sort of chapter. sounds like that's as close as the book comes to having that sort of emotional revelation. Yeah. Which is interesting. There's a bit of adaptation thing here. I think is really interesting with Tom. Uh, as I, I've already said, he survive in the movie. He survives at least until they've right where the movie picks up essentially. Yeah. Right. Uh, but he has made it through this five year period with Mallory in the book. He dies on the night that she is birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but along what, with everybody. Yes. Yes. Uh, very Charles Manson moment there mm-hmm. in, in, in the book. Um, but uh, one of the things that happens. So in, in the book, Rick has called and we get this opening from Rick in the movie where he's talking to her saying that there's a place for them mm-hmm. that happens in the book, but he's actually talked to Tom. Oh, okay. And Tom had actually left a message. So this kind of, you know, updates. So there are GPS and cell phones and stuff. But in the book, everything is landline. Everything's answering machine. Everything is kind of about a 10-year generation, you know, in technology behind. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So Tom has left an answering, uh, a, a message on Rick's answering machine. Mm. And Rick uses that message from Tom as an alert for Mallory to know she has reached safety. Ah, okay. Once they reach a certain part in the river, that message plays, and she knows she has gotten to the place she needs to go. Okay. But in the movie, they do this interesting thing where Tom's voice becomes one of danger. And I think it kind of goes back to this idea of love that we were speaking Mm. to, where, you know, in her final moment of break, Tom is there to say, no, 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 take your blindfold off, you know? Yeah. I love that. I like that. We haven't even talked about that at all yet. The, that's a really interesting switch. That I think in in the book it's a voice of hope, mm-hmm. but in the movie it's a voice of danger. Yeah, coming from this person she loves. Yeah, and I think that's a really interesting decision. Uh, maybe making that more malicious and, and uh, frightening is is an interesting choice. Yeah, it finds a way to like bring again, we it has to find a way to make something it can't show you scary. Yeah. And it's a really effective way of doing that of having the voice of Tom, the voice of her sister be these these voices that she's hearing uh, as the the creatures are trying to attack them. Um it's really really an interesting choice. It's so that's such a funny adaptation choice though to again take that moment of hope in the book and and turn it into a, that moment of terror. That's really that's cool. That's I'm glad you had a chance to read the book. Uh I yeah. think that's deepened our conversation a lot. Yeah. All right, friends. Well, I think it's about time we render a verdict on the bird box. Um, and the answer the question, you know, if a bird box falls in a quiet place, does it actually make a sound? Uh, 
<laughs> yeah, you're welcome. I'm just going to stop recording there. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we're going to. I think that's, that's and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs> so, show for trash, Arthur, go. I, I Man, I think it is a very solid thriller that uh, did gangbusters on Netflix, and I think that's where it deserves to be. And so I would very softly, gently put this on top of the trash. This raises the question, is it possible to shell? Is there a, is there a physical media version of this? Not of... You know, I don't know if there's some Pro- some things do. I mean, obviously, Netflix has been a lot more particular about that. Obviously, you get the Criterion package for their big Oscar Beatty stuff, Roma and Marriage Story. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's gone to Criterion, but I don't know that Bird Box. I think did. you've got to be I know a real Daredevil. I think went to DVD like those Marvel shows did. Oh, they did. I didn't even realize that. I'm I knew sure. there's a Stranger Things. At least the first season got a physical media mm-hmm. release. Yes. Which that kind of tells you how it's it's got to be like a certain kind of Netflix property to even qualify for that that physical distribution. I'm not seeing a copy on Amazon that you could buy. I think Wow, Power of the Dog is getting a Criterion release today. Yeah, that, I'm that sure. I feel like I heard that, but I could all be those kind of big Oscar Beatty movies have gotten yeah. the the Criterion treatment it's, or are getting. What is this, Mallory? A Bird Box novel? Oh, there's a sequel. So oh, this okay. is the 2020 sequel called Mallory. I think that jumps ahead 13 years. Mm. Uh, so the children are teenagers gotcha. what? Uh, and things. Oh, I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier. I found this article on Deadline. Um, so it was reported late last year, some point last year, uh, they were talking about doing uh, language-specific uh, spinoffs. So there would be a Spanish Bird Box spinoff sequel. So it's kind of to your idea oh, of fun, doing yeah. these independent spinoffs uh but they'd be kind of uh i guess language is like regionally regional yeah like there's the spanish bird box story in the germans but yeah 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 yeah, yeah. which i think is a really kind of unique way to take that if they they go through with it they're you know i'm very interested in the, the netflix model of like they they make content for the entire world and they are sort of guessing at what's going to be a you know, cross national hit. Yeah. hit, which I think is sort of interesting. Are you interested though in putting it in your shelf or in the trash? I think I'm with you, man. I think this belongs on streaming. Um, I, I think it makes sense as a as a streaming original. Um, it is so funny to me that Apple TV beat Netflix to an Oscar. It will never stop being funny to me. Um, <laughs> Hulu's going to get one. Yeah, HBO Max is going to get. Yeah, one. <laughs> everybody's going to get an Oscar before Netflix, and Netflix is going to be sitting there shaking their fists and crying into their money, <laughs> bla- blaming their their failing as numbers. they continue to raise because they continue to raise rates and blame subscribers sharing their accounts for their their shortcomings. No, it's it's a fine movie, and again, I do think at some levels it's much more successful than uh, the theatrically released A Quiet Place. Uh, I don't think that means this deserved a theatrical release. I think its its scale is sort of appropriately um, cropped for your home viewing experience. So yeah, it's it's definitely worth the stream. So I don't necessarily think it goes into the trash for me, but it doesn't necessarily go on the shelf either. It is sorting and sitting in the the middle ground, the purgatory that is the digital media age. Dustin, for you, what 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 does this do for you? I find myself really torn here because I, I I could easily see myself investing quite a lot of mental resources in this film to use as a teaching point and uh, and whatnot. And the idea that you know Netflix would keep it streaming forever, presumably, seemed, presumably seems to be the case. But uh, Netflix and a number of these streaming platforms, I, I do think there is going to be a bubble. 
And uh, I don't mm-hmm. know that Netflix is too big to fail. I don't think that they they are still not in the black. Uh, Correct. They, and probably never will be. I can't imagine a world in which they figure out how to turn a profit, truly. But if I was to teach suture theory, if I was to think about sensational horror, if I was to think about birds and horrors, I was going to think about children and horror. Yeah. Any of the topics that we've raised, which I think are brilliant topics for possible modules in a number of film stories, studies courses, Bird Box seems to be a great movie with a lot of utility. And so part of me would want to own it physically for that reason. Are there better examples of each individual thing? Yeah, but is it is it kind of a Swiss Army movie for doing those kinds of things? A little bit. It kind of is. And so I would probably pick up a DVD of this if I could find one. There you go. Criterion, you have at least one customer if you want to get a Bird Box release out there. I Surely it's Criterion that approaches Netflix, right? Yeah, I That's, don't know how that partnership came up. I can't remember. Yeah. Because it came I, up a couple of years. I mean, I think Roma was the first in this line of prestige Netflix dramas that get Criterion treatment. You know what I'm thinking about I just now. I find it shelfable, I think, I think yeah. even though it's impossible to shelf it right now. That's, That's absolutely. Well, I was going to say, I, I think Okja is getting Criterion treatment. Nice. That's a good mm. one. I think. I wonder if they'll ever give that love to their their first mm. prestige uh, film, Beasts of No Nation, which is a totally different kind mm. of horror film uh, featuring children. Uh, uh, maybe Mudbound. Mudbound deserves it. Give it to Mudbound. Yeah. yeah. yeah Mudbound, Mudbound Criterion win. For sure. There's a handful, man. That's the thing that's so interesting about, as we're, we're kind of wrapping up, I, I think that's what's so interesting about Netflix is <laughs> their selection is such a scattershot sort of... Grab bag of quality, like you really can't ever tell what you're going to get with a Netflix movie there mm-hmm. because there are so many different kinds and like tiers. I feel like of of Netflix release, there are things that feel sort of grand and, and epic, like uh, Power of the Dog or uh, uh, even Marriage Story, something that's sort of small and intimate, mm-hmm. still feels very much like a real movie. And then there's things like I don't know. I just watched Senior Year today with uh, which might actually come up next week. Uh, with Rebel Wilson, and it, never does that not feel like a Netflix movie, well, uh, despite still being a, a pretty good, like you know, m- you know, a comedy uh, as far as like a studio released comedy. It's pretty good, but it still feels very Netflixy. Well, uh, I, I think this brings us full circle because they present themselves as somebody uh, who cares about both making the artistic indie movie as well as the four quadrant film and <laughs> saving the cat. So. Yeah, I, I think they uh, they have learned to uh, try to serve both masters. They're trying anyway, ineffectually. If you want to serve, if you want to serve multiple masters, you can find us on the internet uh, and let us uh, be that for you. If if you're looking for people to tell you what content you should enjoy, I, it's not us. We're not the ones, but we'll try to find an interesting way to talk about the things that you're watching, and that's what we try to do. If you want to send us your bird box feedback, you can do that. Uh, Where uh, our, our email is goodtrashgenrecast at gmail If you've got some some long form feedback for us, you can also find us on Twitter at goodtrashmedia. Uh, that's where you find links to this show. You can also just go to our Podbean. If that's you know, if you don't have a podcatcher, if you're not you know, if you if you want to listen to us and you don't have a smartphone, go to the Podbean. It's still, you can still enjoy podcasts. I don't know how you're hearing this episode uh, if you don't have a smartphone. <laughs> But you can listen to us on Podbean with the Good Trash Honor cast. Uh, last but certainly not least, if you go to patreon.com forward slash GTM, uh, you can find out how to help keep the lights on and uh, 
Well, you can even tell us what movie we're going to watch, as uh, one listener named My Wife uh, has <laughs> done, wife. even though I insist that she can just cheat the system and tell me what movie she wants us to talk about. She insists on giving us money, and she is our Patreon pick, uh, our, our patron picker. What do we call them? I don't know. We haven't figured it out ever. But it's next week is a Patreon pick, right, Arthur? That's true. It yeah, is. We're, we're going to be watching something that a listener chose. So again, if you want to choose what we watch, it's patreon.com forward slash GTM. You can find out more information about that. And I wouldn't call it necessarily a four-quadrant film, but it's at least two quadrants, and it is a very commercial film. It is. Because next week, we try on our, our tuxedos. We, we find our our best fitting suits. Yeah. And we travel back to our 10 year reunions to discuss Romeo and Michelle's high school reunion. I'm going to get that businesswoman's lunch and uh, I'll see you guys there. I'm going to have um, blonde hair with black roots. I'll be there. <laughs> it's a great look. All right. So there you go, dear listener. That's what's next. You keep watching. We'll keep talking. We'll see you all next time.